Welcome to the Aquas Podcast. Conversations about regs, funds, and governance with your host, Daniel Lawler. For this episode, we're expanding beyond the boundaries of Ireland and even Europe to Qatar. And I'm delighted to have as my co-host Giovanni Bandi, who works for the Qatari regulator. Giovanni, would you like to introduce yourself? Yes, thanks, Daniel. Uh, so I'm Giovanni Bandi. I'm uh, the head of international um, uh, investment management team at uh, the Qatar Financial Center Regulatory Authority, uh, which is one of the two uh, sister companies of the Qatar Financial Center. Um, and um, uh, as 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 you know, uh, as you know, we met in uh, back in the time in the C5. So I'm a member of uh, the IOSCO uh, investment management team, um, uh, and uh, I also teach economics just for fun. Just for fun, busy day then. Yeah. And tell me, what is it that you find about your role that uh, enthuses you most, or gets you gets the, the blood up? Well, when I moved from London to Qatar, the, the fun thing, and it's still fun, was that um, you get to do everything because it's such a smaller authorities compared to the uh, FSA back then. Now it's called FCA. And so as a head of the department, you do everything from supervision, uh, insights and policies, uh, uh, talking to authorization, authorization of funds, authorization of uh, firms. Um, it's uh, 360 degrees of regulatory work. And, and that is still fun, I think. I think uh, unique, I would say. I'd say so, yeah. And so tell us a little bit about the industry in Qatar. Uh, how is it made up? Is it, is it uh, a lot of asset management prevalent there? Well, there is a few asset managers which are local. Um, so the, the, the structure of the industry is so that there is international asset managers which are set up in, in the Qatar Financial Center. And there will be big names that you know from the US or, um, or Europe. They tend to be smaller um, entities. Um, sometimes they just sell products which are managed elsewhere or they arrange for product, for management to be carried out in their home countries. Um, but more and more we're seeing um, uh, local firms which actually, uh, so banks, commercial banks, which set up their investment management arm uh, in the Qatar Financial Center. Um, and uh, we also have cases of... Um, uh, joint ventures between the government entities, such as the Qatar Investment Authority, so Qatar Holding, the, uh, the sovereign fund of Qatar, and the international firms uh, setting up new entities there for, to manage specifically certain mandates that they have, uh, either regional asset allocations or, or global. And are they tending to look inward then to invest in and around Qatar or is it gathering assets then that, that leave Qatar to invest abroad? Well, um, firms which are just uh, selling products um, tend to just have allocations elsewhere. That's their channel effectively to distribution channel in Qatar. Uh, local commercial uh, banks with an arm in the, in the Qatar Financial Center, they focus on uh, GCC or actually Qatari stocks. Um, then uh, the, the joint ventures, they, they, they can have different mandates. It can be international real estate or, or things alike. So it is varied. Um, what the, the latest trend, though, latest, uh, we only have one, but we just launched an ETF. 
So there was the first one in the, in the country, uh, despite being a growing asset class uh, elsewhere. Um, it took some time, but it is an ETF that uh, is focused exclusively on, on Qatari stocks. Sure, and of course, with ETFs, one of the one of the um, the big issues is around liquidity and, and liquidity like, liquidity of underlying stocks. But we were chatting earlier about uh, Qatar now being included in the MSCI Emerging Markets list, so that's had an impact on liquidity. Yes, then two or three years ago, Qatar, uh, together with the UAE, uh, uh, was upgraded from frontier markets to emerging markets. And so, uh, by definition, that means that uh, allocations into that segment, they also get reversed uh, into the local market. And that really changed the, the landscape of the, of the industry there, uh, either directly or indirectly, uh, clearly creating more liquidity. Uh, it was an upgrade of the market in itself. And the uh, the Qatar Financial Centre, is, is the object of that to be the the uh, premier uh, financial services centre in uh, Qatar and, and the Emirates and, and that part of the world? Well, we have competitors uh, in the UAE uh, and elsewhere in the region. So uh, initially it was set up as being, uh, wanted to be a, a premier investment management centre for uh, for the Middle East, uh, it, it developed into uh, two things. It's still trying to attract investment managers uh, to move there and uh, operate more out of Qatar, uh, but also works as a bridge for transactions which occur between Qatari entities and foreign entities. Uh, one peculiarity of the Qatar Financial Center is that it is based on common law. And so uh, international players uh, out of uh, the UK uh, or um, the US or elsewhere, uh, they are very familiar with the type of transaction that would occur. So more and more, uh, the structure is, is, uh, is that of servicing local firms to do more international business. Uh, that's interesting. So that the, um, the scope of the, the business model, if you like, has sort of shifted over time as you've seen different opportunities. Yes, and, and that is uh, it is the case. For example, um, insurance firms which uh, want to have uh, international uh, asset management arm, they're now moving to the into the center, so to um, be recognized and definitely play along with the other players um, in the same in the same space of those institutions which we are familiar with, and so. Um, we guarantee them that uh, when they move outside of Qatar, being regulated and under the Qatar Financial Center um, legal structure, uh, they can operate uh, seamlessly uh, with, with other players. And so, uh, at the same time, we are still a Qatari entity, and 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 that combination allows for uh, both inside doing business from Qatar and importing business from outside. And you work on the regulatory side, Giovanni. So your your uh, authorization, supervision, policy, that kind of work. Is it quite a, a, a sort of still a, a small enough number of firms that you're you're authorizing and supervising at the moment? Yes. So the the Qatar Financial Center is set up so that there is a the Qatar Financial Center Authority and the Qatar Financial Center Regulatory Authority. Effectively, they are two distinctive uh, entities, and the regulatory authority uh, is completely independent from the from the other one, um, and uh, it works exactly as any other regulator has the same structure of uh, policy authorization uh, enforcement uh, uh, legal uh, anything that you may have seen uh, elsewhere 
Um, what is perhaps uh, a bit more peculiar is that uh, because it's still a small authority, uh, as I was mentioning earlier, you know, teams tend to do more than they would they would do. They're they were specialized by team effectively, mm. but we cover 360 uh, of the uh, activities that you would do with a regulator. Um, but yes, well, we are independent. And you have a separate uh, development authority or development board uh, that's sort of out there marketing the financial services center. Um, you presumably work alongside them in terms of being able to explain what um, incoming promoters could expect in, in Qatar. Yes, that uh, the the other our sister authority, the Qatar Financial Center Authority, uh, is uh, managed um, and by the um, uh, Minister of Finance. And so, if you want, is is almost like a branch of the Minister of Finance. Um, or treasury, whatever you want to call it. So all the activities that you would see in a developed country, such as Ireland, for example, um, uh, of development and the type of structure will be done at the Qatar Financial Centre Authority level. So um, in the fund industry, for example, if we need to set up uh, a trust, uh, uh, so we authorize the fund as being as being so, but it's the authority that develops the legislation for the trust. Mm. Um, but at the same time, they do a lot of business development. And, and so they, they do listen to international operators who are willing to move to Qatar. And uh, they take, they're very quick in taking action or developing new structures if that is the, the request of the market. Yeah. So perhaps they're, uh, we are more active, I would say, in, in the development and because we are smaller and we're really hungry for international business, uh, there's uh, the, the activities that you see them, it's, they're very coordinated, if you will. Yeah, and you mentioned at the outset in your introduction about IOSCO. So I guess your participation at IOSCO is part of that drive to build connections and, and build networks for your regulator with other regulators around the world. Yes, so um, as we joined IOSCO, um, we wanted to make sure that we were in the, in the right spot when it comes to setting international standards. Um, and so um, there's a, um, the, the Qatar Financial Center has a, an ambition to still attract international players in the investment management space. And so we thought it was a good idea for, uh, for the authority to join the C5, which is the Investment Management Committee. Um, as I joined, it was very. I got very lucky because uh, it's currently run by my previous employers and, and good friends at the, out of the out of London, and so uh, they already knew me, and, and was uh, I think it was easier for me to join. Sure, sure. And we had Rob on uh, our February podcast. He chatted a bit about the work that IOSCO are doing, and um, one of the work streams uh, is around leverage. And I know you're co-chairing that leverage work stream. Uh, how is that coming along? Is it uh, developing quite well? Is it uh, your thinking is clarifying? Well, the the, the work is, is on time, uh, so that's good news. Um, what we're doing so far is um, uh, we're, we're about to um, complete the CP, so the consultation paper for market participants before going to the FSB. Um, the, the this consultation paper will contain effectively what we call a step one uh, measures. Um, so in, in the introduction, when the paper comes out, you will see that there is a description of how uh, a regulator should um, um, address the issue of uh, 
uh, analyzing and measuring uh, leverage and funds for systemic purposes. And so given that mandate from the FSB, uh, we have divided the work effectively into in, in two blocks. One is a consultation paper on uh, measures of leverage, uh, and we are taking specifically into account measures of economic exposures uh, in that one. And then there will be a good practice uh, paper um, that will address measure of risks which can be used uh, in combination with the exposures uh, to understand better if fund is systemically important or not. Right, and this approach of um, the recommendations supported by good practices is something we saw in the liquidity work that, uh, that IOSCO produced uh, earlier this year. So that kind of structure is something we're familiar with. Um, obviously, you've got to get back to the Financial Stability Board with your recommendations uh, by the end of the year. So what is the, the timing for the consultation? Well, we, we think that uh, the consultation will be out by the end of summer. Uh, that is uh, most likely going to happen. Um, we are on time so far, and uh, uh, I think that uh, you will see something coming out in three months. Okay, so uh, somewhere around June, July time, 2018. July, yeah, okay. And obviously you're not starting from a blank sheet of paper here on your leverage work, and you've got a, a number of members in the working group who can tell you about how they measure leverage already in their own jurisdictions, be it Europe or from the US or whatever. Uh, so the approach that, that will be in the consultation paper is, is likely to build on those and, and be something that people are more or less familiar with, certainly in developed markets, would you think? Yes, well, if you look at the standards which are already out there for the European Union uh, authorities and uh, the American uh, authority, and single one, so there is uh, already measures which are considered for gross exposures. Um, and so we are borrowing a lot from, from those. Um, we didn't reinvent the wheel. Mm. Um, however, there, there's few key questions which come out when you start looking into the math of these, uh, of these measures. And so um, the paper addresses questions such as uh, how do you adjust these notionals, and, uh, uh, which is done differently between the two big blocks of the US and Europe. Uh, or um, how do you treat the netting or hedging, which clearly, uh, from from a man, fund manager point of view, um, if you are have a pure hedge, it uh, shouldn't be uh, being a disadvantage for that reason, if you will. Mm. And so um, we are looking at uh, effectively a structure in which, in the step one, we look at the measures, and in step two, uh, the regulators will look at the risk metrics such as market risk and counterparty risks specifically. And so I suppose when you deliver the final package to the Financial Stability Board, uh, it is delivered to the FSB, but it's recommendations to regulators. So uh, have you sense for how that, how that plays out? Did the regulators take that and, and are they able to implement it themselves? Do they look to tweak then what information they're getting in from uh, industry or do they pass it wholesale onto industry and it becomes their problem? Well, um, I don't think there will be a pass-through that's not uh, reasonable nor, nor possible, I suppose. Um, and uh, the, again, if you look at the current structure in Europe, you already have uh, AFMD reporting, for example, which has the type of information. Uh, in the US, you have the PF form, which contains the type of information. Um, the problem is not so much on the, uh, for, from an IOSCO point of view, the problem is not so much on uh, the reporting part. 
is uh, on the standard and the format. If you look at the definition that FSB has put down, they're, they're talking about uh, comparable or uh, consistent measures of leverage. Um, and so that's where the issue is. These measures that have to be uh, consistent across jurisdictions so that IOSCO can go and collect that. Uh, there's three recommendations if you go and look at it. The first one is to determine what, what we are doing, so the measures and of uh, uh, leverage and risk. But uh, there are another two uh, recommendations, 11 and 12. 11 recommends for um, uh, national authorities to collect the information, and 12 recommends IOSCO to collect it from national authorities. And so um, we have isolated our work to only the first recommendation, which is creating the um, the, the measures, first of all. And I think more work will be done later. But uh, again, it's a chicken egg situation. We already know that you will have to collect it. So whatever we write down has to be sensitive to those who already have the information. Sure. And just lastly then, um, I'm just interested to know the involvement of the FSB at this stage. Obviously, as part of their work looking post-crisis at things that could go wrong, they identified leverage and funds, and they've asked IOSCO to produce recommendations. Are they now... Uh, involved in the process or do they completely step back and then just receive the recommendations at the end of 2018? Well, um, we have a friendly relationship as IOSCO members with the FSB team. Uh, We have, um, we we hosted ourselves two industry uh, roundtables, one in Paris in September and one in Washington in December. Um, and uh, we invited FSB members to come along, uh, and so a few of them uh, came, and, and so that that gives them uh, a bit of a understanding of where we are going. Mm. Uh, they're not doing the job with us, uh, but they are aware of where we're heading, or at least intuitively they can know what to expect in this CP. I don't think when the paper comes out it will be a full surprise for them. No surprise. Um, it shouldn't be a, a surprise if they've been paying attention. To <laughs> Probably <laughs> just as well. Yeah. Just as well. Well, listen, thank you very much for joining me, Giovanni. I appreciate it. Uh, that's uh, the wrap-up for this episode of the uh, Quest podcast, and we look forward to talking to you next time. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to the Aquas Podcast. For information about our training and advisory programs or our academy, visit aquas.ie. For more resources on regs, funds, and governance, check out our YouTube channel, Daniel Lawler, R-U-R-Q.